Today, what we're going to do is continue our series in David. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to, to buckle in because I've got a lot to share with you. And I'm going to share a story with you that you probably, even if you think you know David, you probably haven't heard this story. Uh, but what comes with this story, I believe, is what the, the most crucial change in the church has got to come based on what we're going to hear today. The church is a place of hope and healing for, for the world. It is made up of those who love Jesus, have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and have been tasked to share that with others. And yet what we see over and over again is hurt and pain coming not only outside of the church, but within the church itself. And so what I want to share with you today, for some of you who may be struggling today, this may give you hope and it may not. For those of you who are seeking a life that everything feels good and is happy and birds, birds are chirping every time you get out of bed and you are excited to face the day, this is probably going to rain on your parade some. And for those of you who are looking for hope in the midst of pain, I, I know that this will speak to you. So this is a, a story. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 22. Scott shared uh, just a great story of David's where the pressure is on. And I want you to remember at this point, for David, the pressure has been on for a while. He's gone from a nobody, a shepherd boy, to a national hero, to being in the king's court. He has already been anointed the future king, although he, that, he is not the king until Saul is gone. And now Saul has become jealous because the Lord has been with David. David has done such incredible feats for the nation um, that people were shouting his praises much more than they were Saul's. Saul, if you will remember at this point, has already turned away from the instructions of God. And instead of looking for God's glory, is trying to heap his own glory upon himself. This is the same problem that most people struggle with today inside and outside the church. It is the desire to live for our own glory rather than living in a way that gives God glory. So as we come through this and as we, we struggle through this story, there's a few things that I want you to know going into this. Number one, it is a great lie. It is a great lie that God wants you to have a life of ease and entertainment. Now, you believe that lie because you grew up in a nation who said that is the point of life, the pursuit of happiness. And what we have done is spiritualize that lie so that we believe that if we are faithful to God and if we follow God the right way, then God is going to give us a life of ease and entertainment. And so we just go around going, man, life is just wonderful. And if we believe that lie, then we have to ignore the life of every person in Scripture that followed God and believe that somehow now he works differently than he has with everybody else that he's ever worked with. So I want to put that out there now because what we are celebrating this weekend is Independence Day. And in our nation, the birth of a nation that is supposed to be the greatest nation on earth, ushering in great, uh, a great era of peace for those who live there and are supposed to be espousing the values of God around the world. And that is what many churches are celebrating today. And there are many wonderful things to celebrate about this nation and for those who have fought to make it a free nation. But what I want to share with you is that we have a long way to go. 
we have a long way to go. It's a great lie that he wants you to live a life of ease and entertainment. What he wants is for you to seek him and trust him. Now, the reason that that is difficult is because we do not really like having to trust somebody else. We want to be able to trust ourselves and rely on ourselves because we can depend on ourselves. And yet what God wants is for us to seek him and to trust him. And what we know about life and what happens between hardship and great, wonderful mountaintop experiences in life is that we seek God most passionately, not when things are going well, but when we are most vulnerable. So it is when we are hurting and we are in pain that we most authentically seek after God. And yet we still believe that somehow if we follow God, he will keep us from hurting. And so as we look at lives of those around us that are hurting, we find that that is not often the way God works. Now, what we're going to look at with David is an interesting thing began to happen to David that he didn't expect in this story. And in 1 Samuel 22, just to to catch you up, it's really, this is an incredible time in David's life. And the reason we're doing this story is because David is heralded as the greatest king that Israel would ever have. And he was a man who was said to be a man after God's own heart. And yet the stories you do know about David either lead you to believe that he is a great hero or he is just a terrible person. Because the two stories that we are most familiar with him are his defeating Goliath and then he having an affair with Bathsheba. But there is so much more to his life, and there, is, there are few people in the Old Testament that have as much Scripture devoted to their life as David. And the fact that we don't know all the other stories, it, it, it speaks to you know, the fact that we just don't study what is there. So as we come into this, as Scott shared last week, David is running from his life for Saul. Saul's already been trying to kill him in multiple ways. He's tried to turn his daughter, who is now David's wife, against him. He's tried to turn his son, Jonathan, who is David's best friend, against him. He has sought to end his life in any number of ways. And so David begins to run, and he does something very wise that we saw last week. He runs to somebody to give him some advice. Which is a great lesson in that in your life, if you don't have somebody that you can go to to help you through difficult things, you need that person. A wise mentor, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, someone that can speak into your life. Now, as you mature as a believer, you should take on a couple of roles. You should take on the role of learning from others. You should take on the role of teaching those that are coming up behind you. And so you are never going to be in a place where you are simply asking others to help you. You should also begin to grow in a place where you begin to help others through their troubles as well. And we're going to find that David is going to do that in a very unique way in our story today. David is so scared at this point, and even the scriptures even say he changed his appearance and started to look like a homeless, crazy man, just so no one would know who he was because he was afraid for his life. And as we enter into this story, David goes again to another priest, and he enters into this cave where he is trying to escape And then something incredible happens. If you'll follow with me, 1 Samuel 22, beginning with verse 1. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet or something, you can follow along on version. But I'm going to share with you three acts today in this story, okay? Act number one is David's calling to care for the broken. 
So this is act number one. Verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And listen to this. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now, something interesting happens here because David is scared. He is running for his life. He is hurting. He is truly broken before God. And in this moment, when David least expects it, as he runs to a cave, he begins to attract others who are hurting and who are broken. This is the calling that David would have on his life for the rest of his life. It was in the moments that he felt like, I need to take care of me. I I have so much of my own junk and so much of my own problems that I can't worry about anybody else. I'm going to get in this cave. I'm going to hide out here. No one's going to know who I am or where I am. I'm just going to just retreat into my own little safe place. And yet in that moment is the moment that God began to bring all those in the area that were hurting and broken as well to come to him. This is an incredible story of what is about to happen, not only for David, but this would also mirror what Jesus would do when he came. And it would mirror what he would call you and I to in our lives as we move forward, that we would not seek a life without hurt, but in the midst of hurt, we would seek others that we can help. Now, David, as we're going to find out, is not really excited about this. This is not really where he wants to be. This is not what he wants to happen at this moment. And if you have ever experienced great hurt or brokenness within your life, you know that your first instinct is to withdraw into yourself and to ignore everyone else around you. I've got so much to do with on my own. I I just can't deal with anybody else. What we know and working with people, what we've learned here in working with people is that David could not lead the broken until he was broken himself. Now, I want you to let that sink in. I know it's very easy to come and to sit, and you've had your coffee, and you're kind of tired. You're thinking about lunch and you know, all these other things going on. We're going to listen to a good story about David, but, but I want you to let this sink in. David could not lead the broken until he was broken himself. So if you're here this morning, and you have a brave face on, and you're not letting anybody else know what's going on deep inside of you, I want you to know that God may be setting you up to do his work in your community. You may feel like 
retreating, going into your own cave, getting away from everybody, hiding and just hoping the trouble passes you by. But it may be that God is calling you to do something and you were not ready until you came to a place of brokenness in your own life. And I will tell you, this is a part of the gospel I do not like. I don't like this reality. I want to worship a God who says, Mark, if you will come to church and if you will give in the offering and if you will serve at least a couple of hours a week and go with the kids every now and again to centrifuge and do these other things, I am going to make your path straight. I am going to smooth every obstacle and I'm going to silence anybody that would ever hurt you. I would love for that to be the gospel. I can do those things. But that is not the gospel that we read about in Scripture. But instead, we see this story over and over again, that God's concern was for the broken, not the strong. If we read in Luke 4, it's, it's literally one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. Luke 4, 18 and 19, he's at, it's Jesus quoting a prophecy about himself, which is pretty cool. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to quote a prophecy about yourself? I mean, that's pretty awesome. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? Not the. Let that sink in. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the. Recovering sight to the. And set liberty those who are. Let that sink in. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As we read scripture, Old or New Testament, there is a message that is continually shared to us time and time again. And that message is this, that Jesus is concerned with people who are hurting. So if you are hurting, Jesus is concerned with you and for you. And he may be wanting to use your pain and your hurt in ways that you may not anticipate. Let me ask you this. Feel free to just throw something out. As you think through our current state of affairs in our world today, just throw out some groups that you would say are hurting today. The addicted. Who else? Homeless. I heard another one. Mentally ill, yes. Trapped in the Middle East. People being trafficked. Gangs. Children. Women. The elderly. LGBTQ. Orphans. Those who are not of a preeminent race, those who struggle with bigotry throughout their lives, those who are poor and can never break out of the system because a system keeps you poor. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need to get to know some poor people. And you will find out there is a system that keeps you poor and it takes someone to come alongside and pull you out. And even then, it is, a, it is an incredible battle. It is those groups that Jesus is most concerned with. 
And they are hurting, and they are oppressed, and they are captive, and sometimes they are blind. But there are many groups that are struggling, and the people that God raises up to help them are those who know what it feels like to hurt themselves. Because if you don't know how to hurt, then you look at people differently. If you've never experienced pain, you look at situations differently. And typically, it goes like this. This is your fault. You have done this. If you did things like I did them, you would have the life like I have. That is not the way God works. And so instead, the way God works is he looks at those who are broken, and that is where he runs. And when there are those, there is no one out there that is able to care for the broken, then God breaks somebody to care for them. Is it possible that in your brokenness, and if you are not that person right now, if things are good, things are great, you're just excited about life, and you've never had a, a negative thing ever happen to you, let me just tell you this. Hold on to your hat because it's coming. It's coming. And you will have in that moment the ability to say, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have I not done enough for you? God, what have I done wrong? And God will say, you've done nothing wrong. I'm doing something right in you. And you are going to hurt. And you're going to have to decide in those moments what you're going to do about it. If you are not empathetic to the plight of those who are hurting, God will allow hurt to enter your life as a catalyst for you to be used in someone else's. This is an uncomfortable truth about God's work in our world. You can trust that this is going to happen. If you think, oh, Mark, come on, he's getting ready to unroll this new ministry and he's just wanting new volunteers for it. I'm not. But in order to believe that what I'm telling you is not true, you have to ignore all of Scripture. All of it. Because there's not a part in any person's life that God has been active in that they have not experienced hurt. Not a single one. And many times we find God is the one who allowed it to happen. We often want to talk about why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Because when bad things happen, good people move to those who are hurting. So we have got to change the way we see the world around us. That's act number one. David's in a cave. Let me just get away. Let me just be safe. Just leave me alone. And all of a sudden, all these people come to him. Act number two, we find next in the story, we come back to Saul. Because what we often see through the story of David is we see Saul and David. And then we see how they are each different. Neither one of them make perfect decisions But one of them is constantly going back to God, and one of them is constantly just focused on himself. Here's what we find out in Saul, and we see this in the world all the time. It says, and we're back to chapter 22, verse 6. Now Saul heard that David was discovered. Somebody figured out where he was. I mean, when you've got 400 men, when you start adding women and children, you can anticipate that there are going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people now in this cave. It's kind of like, I'm just trying to hide and... You people are drawing attention to me. So he's discovered. Once you have 1,000, 2,000 people out in the desert, somebody's going to find out, and somebody's going to tell Saul. Saul finds out. The king finds out. He heard that David was discovered, and the men who were here, where, men who, excuse me, were with him. 
Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Now, I want you to get this picture. He's on a hilltop under a tree with his throne and his spear surrounded by his folks. Look at the glory that is Saul. Is really what's going on in his head. Saul's a big guy. He's got a big spear. He's an accomplished warrior himself. And he loves to bask in his own glory. Not only does he love to bask in his own glory, he loves to surround himself with people that will always agree with him. What we read next is, verse 7, Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin. Now, the reason that that's important is because Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he surrounded himself only with his own people. So when he says, hear, O people of Benjamin, he's saying, hear, O my people, my family, those who are most loyal to me. When you surround yourself only with people like yourself, you are headed for trouble. When you never have a dissenting voice within your own life, then you are headed for hurt. Because it is often those dissenting voices that keep you focused on seeking and trusting God and not seeking and trusting yourself. But he goes on. Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all you have conspired against me? This is where his paranoia begins to take on. Act two is Paul's, as Saul's paranoia destroys his influence. I forgot to mention that. No one discloses to me when my son, talking about Jonathan, makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Dog, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahidab. And he inquired for, to the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. You may remember that from Scott's story last week. Now here's, let me just frame it. He's surrounded by his yes men. He's surrounded by the people that are going to do what Saul wants him to do. But yet he's also got this guy, Dog, here, who's an Edomite, which means he is not faithful to the Jewish faith. But instead, he's just some guy, like a hired hand, to be there with him. And so when no one would speak, as Saul begins to say, hey, why are you guys working with them? Can't you see they're amassing an army to overtake me? Which is totally not what's happening. A bunch of hurting people are coming to David and saying, lead us, we're hurting. And yet Saul and his paranoia, because the only thing he's concerned about is his own personal glory, or more specifically losing it, he begins to get paranoid and believe they are all going to destroy me. Why are you people not helping me? Why are you people not stopping this? Why are you people not giving me the information I need? We know his paranoia is going to rise to such a level that he even tries to kill his own son. And so Dog steps out, and he's not afraid, and he doesn't mind saying what's going on, and he begins to shed light. He's going to come into our story again here in just a minute. Saul's quest for glory at this point has caused him to fear losing what little glory he has. Even though he is the king, 
He has all the trappings. He's in his throne under a tree with his spear, probably eating grapes with somebody fanning him with a big palm leaf or something. As he believes in his own glory, he fails to see what David sees. And that is the incredible glory of God. See, we are going to each face the same battle that Saul faced, and that is that we celebrate our own glory more than we celebrate God's. And when we do that, then we are completely outside of God's will and work in our lives. And that's what happens to Saul. Picks up in verse 11. It says, And the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest. You'll remember, first David goes to Samuel, then he leaves Samuel, and he goes to Ahimelech. Ahimelech is the one who gives him the sword of Goliath, and he inquires to God. He prays and asks God for a word, and he gives a positive word to David. And then David runs to the cave, and now Saul wants to go see why Ahimelech has done this thing for David, his enemy. The king went to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahedab, and all of his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You are the son of Jesse and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and listen to his answer. And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard, all those men of Benjamin surrounding him he's talking about. He is their captive, captain. Keep that in mind. That's going to come up in these next few verses. Who among all your servants is so faithful as David? In other words, why are you scared of him? He's always been good to you. He's always followed you. He's always done what was best for you. He has never tried to hurt you. Why are you going after David? Now, Himelech can read the writing on the wall. The king's mad. The king's going crazy. He's tried to kill David. He's tried to kill Jonathan. He is on a rampage. And he doesn't understand what in the world is happening here. Why are you worried about David? He's captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house. Verse 15, is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. In other words, I'm clueless what's going on in your house. I'm just doing my job here. I do this all the time. I've done this for David time and time again. Why is this a big deal now? And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. Now look at their response. These are the men of Benjamin, his own tribe, his bodyguard, that before Saul lost his mind, David was their captain. And we read earlier that David and all of his bodyguards sought to be clean in the eyes of God. Which, in case you're a little uncertain about Old Testament tradition, killing a bunch of priests is not necessarily a clean thing to do. And so in this moment, Saul turns to them and says, wipe them out. Wipe all those priests out. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Dog, you turn and strike the priests. 
And though the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod, and Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. He wipes out the whole town. How is an adulterer a man after God's own heart? When we look at people like Saul, we realize there is great evil in the hearts of men. And Saul was so consumed with his own glory that he sought to wipe out anybody that stood in his way. And as they all stood by and watched, this one non-Jew killed everybody. It's an incredible part of David's story. Now you can imagine David's going to find out this news, and if he wasn't hurting already, this is going to compound things for him. Saul's quest for his own glory destroyed his influence with those seeking to give God glory. This is where if you're a leader in the church, if you're a leader in your home, if you're a leader at work, if you're a leader anywhere, it is so crucial that your eyes are constantly on Christ. Because when you take your eyes off Christ, those that you are leading will see it and they will fail to trust you. This is what happens to Saul. This is one of the reasons that leaders in Scripture are held up on a pedestal, not for good things to happen to them, but to be judged more harshly and more quickly. We have to keep our eyes on the one who deserves glory, not on what our instinct is, which is to seek glory for ourselves. We seek glory for ourselves in so many different ways. The next promotion is my glory. My income is my glory. The way that I look better than others is my glory. My better house than your house is my glory. My better car is my glory. We have all different ways to attest to our own glory, and we amass these great things in our lives that we think show people how good we are, how worthy we are. But if we are going to follow Christ, we have to constantly be focused on His glory and not our own. It is a tough thing to do. The story continues, verse 22, verse 20. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahidab named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. He goes on and he says, listen, this is a change for David. David just wants to get away, be by himself, get alone. Masses of people come to him. I can imagine the first few people, they trickled in. No, go away, go away, go away. And now things have changed because David is embracing his calling. And he says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. And it was in this moment that David understood brokenness and he accepted his call to help those like himself. So you can be broken and never accept God's call to help others who are broken. And you can just live in the muck and mire of your hurt and your pain. A lot of people do it. We live in a world where victims are celebrated, and so we all want to be a victim. Look how bad I have it. And we get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, look how bad I have it. It's like we have two complete extremes, 
my life is perfect, and then my life is terrible. Feel bad for me. It's amazing to me the number of people who are struggling in life, and rather than dealing with what is causing them pain, they just like to celebrate how painful it is. And if anyone else comes by with pain, their response is, oh, yeah, well, mine's worse than yours. You know some of those people too, right? It's a victim mentality. It's prevalent. And it is often held by those who are the least victimized of all. David understood his brokenness. That was act two. He was, he was accepting his call. This is act three, because this is where I want to... Oh, good grief. i got to move quickly here. Act three. David's calling to lead the broken to fulfill God's purpose, which is what God will always lead you to do. God is always concerned with his purpose, not yours. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, it says, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? All of a sudden, David has an army. Saul thinks he's coming to attack him. David, now that he has all of these hurting people, sees, Oh, here's another group of people who are being ravaged and hurt and destroyed. We need to go help them. You see the mindset changing from David from completely on himself to now he's looking after others? This is one of the reasons that David is said to be a man after God's own heart, even though he had great sin in his life. Shall I go attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines. Yeah, they're hurting. Go to them. Help them. That's what I'm here for. That's what I want you to do as as my king that I have anointed. This is what you are called to do. Go. Now, keep in mind who is going to be going with him. Those who are in debt, those who have been oppressed, those who are hurting, those who need help. That's who he has. Like walking out and saying, hey, guys, we're going to go to war. What? I can't even handle my own problems. How am I going to handle theirs? And in this, we find a great lesson that when God strengthens you through your pain, you can do anything. That almost rhymes. I didn't even, I just made that up. (laughs) But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? David inquired of the Lord again, are you sure about this? That's not what it says, but that's what he meant. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah and incidentally had food for his own men as a result. As I share this with you, I believe this is the call of the church. This is the call that the church ignores most of the time. And that is we as a band of broken people, because most people who are not broken never see Christ and are not part of the church. But interestingly enough, we become most vulnerable and most open to seeking God when we are hurting the most. It's what leads us to a moment of repentance to say, I can't do this on my own. I submit to the Lordship of Christ in my life. And when he brings us together, I know many in this room are struggling and are broken. And I want you to know he wants to mobilize you to change the world around you, to help those who are hurting around you. And if you believe that you do not have the strength and the power on your own to do it, you don't. But this is how God works through us because God's 
Power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So why is it that we believe we have to be strong before we can help somebody else? That is only true when our strength is in God, or excuse me, our strength is in ourself and rather than in God. Let me share with you, let me share with you what I think are some challenges, and I know I probably need to wrap up, and I don't have time to do this, but As we celebrate Independence Day, if we are going to be a people that help hurting people, we've got to begin to recognize that we have a lot of work to do. And as we recognize that, one of the things that we are terrible at is history. Let me share a little history with you, and some of you may never want to come back journey after I share this history with you, but I feel that I need to share it with you because it's history. I didn't make it up. It's real. It happened. We have to deal with it. We are living in one of the most overturned social dynamic moments in the world right now. We have disrest, disunity, disharmony all around our nation, around our world, and in our churches. This is the world that you and I live. This is the world you and I have been placed in this moment to address. And one of the things that is being heralded across our nation today is a great nationalism of the great Christian nation who is redeeming the world. And if we believe that, we ignore our history. I want you to hang in here with me. I don't care who you voted for, who you didn't vote for, who you would never vote for. But there is great hurt in the world today because of Christians. And if we do not stand up and acknowledge this, we allow the hurt to go on. So, in 1492, someone sailed the ocean blue. Who was it? Columbus. We have Columbus Day. We used to have Columbus parades. I don't know if we do that anymore. We probably shouldn't. And so we celebrate that Christopher Columbus discovered the new world in 1492. Do you know what Christopher Columbus did in 1493? In a letter to the Spanish monarchs, this is what he said. He said, it is possible with the name of the Holy Trinity to sell all the slaves which it is possible to sell. Here there are so many of these slaves. Although they are living things, they are as good as gold. Christopher Columbus said that. We hold him up as a herald to Christian ideals in the world. In 1452, then Pope Nicholas said this about Muslims. He said to the conquistadors that began to invade Muslim nations and areas, that they should invade, search out, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens, which is another word for Muslim. This was the word they used to describe a Muslim. And pagans whatsoever, 
and other enemies of Christ wheresoever placed, and the kingdoms, dukedoms, principalities, dominions, possessions, and all movable and immovable goods whatsoever held and possessed by them, and to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery, and to apply and appropriate to himself and his successors the kingdoms, dukedoms, counties, principalities, dominions, possessions, and goods, and to convert them to his and their use and profit. Sell them all. Take the money and run. This is the loudest Christian voice in 1452. In 1503, Christopher Columbus wrote a letter again to the king and queen of Spain. He said, gold is most excellent. Gold constitutes treasure. And he who has it does all he wants in the world and can even lift souls up to paradise. We don't need Jesus. We got gold. This is our heritage. In 1561, talking of Spanish Christians, a friar by the name of Bartolome de las Casas gave a history of the Indies once it was discovered by Christians. It says this, he wrote this in 1561. And never have the Indians in all the Indies committed any act against the Spanish Christians. They've never done anything to us. Until those Christians have first and many times committed countless cruel aggressions against them or against neighboring nations. More than 30 other islands in the vicinity of San Juan are for the most part and for the same reason depopulated and the land laid waste. We can estimate very surely and truthfully that in the 40 years that have passed with the infernal actions of the Christians, this is a Christian saying this, by the way, with the infernal actions of the Christians, there have been unjustly slain more than 12 million men, women, and children. In truth, I believe without trying to deceive myself that the number of the slain is more like 50 million. After the wars and the killings had ended, when Usually there survived only some boys, some women, and children. These survivors were distributed among the Christians to be slaves. And of all the infinite universe of humanity, these people were the most guileless, the most devoid of wickedness and duplicity, the most obedient and faithful to their native masters and to the Spanish Christians whom they whom they serve. These people are the most devoid of rancors, hatreds, or desire for vengeance of any people in the world. Their reason for killing and destroying such an infinite numbers of soul is the Christ- is that the Christians have an ultimate aim, which is to acquire gold and to swell themselves with riches in a very brief time and thus rise to the highest state disproportionate to their merits. It should be kept in mind that their insatiable greed and ambition, the greatest ever seen in the world, is the cause of their villainies. This is our history. As we look at our more recent history, we find that Christians were on the wrong side of ending slavery. We find that Christians were some of the last people to desegregate. 
And yet we wave our flags as if we are the God's gift to the world. Why do I share this to you? Is it because I hate our nation? Gosh, no. We live in a nation where we have the freedom for me to say these things and for us to worship without fear of someone rushing in and shooting all of us. We live in a wonderful nation who has sent more missionaries throughout the world than perhaps any other nation, and yet we have so much work to do. If you're like me, I can't stand the current political rhetoric that we hear every single day from both sides. But the truth is that Christians have been responsible for great atrocities in history, and you and I cannot just come to worship and go out to eat and turn off the news and go about our lives like none of this is happening. We cannot do that. As we look at the story of David, we find a man who was broken, who was called by God to help those who were hurting, and there are a lot of hurting people in our world. I recognize that politically we're on all different sides of the spectrum. It's not my goal, nor nor am I going to try to tell you who to vote for or which side to be on. Because quite honestly, if you're like me, I don't know that there is a side that I identify with. But you and I have to take a stand for those who are hurting in the world today. You may disagree with what's happening in the racial struggle and violence that's happening right now. But yet we have been on the wrong side of that for years You may disagree with what's going on with gay, lesbian marriage, with transgenderism and all of those things. It is not my goal to tell you what you're supposed to do with that. You should go to Scripture for that. But you are to love them and care for them, even if you disagree with their lifestyle. You and I cannot get in our nice cars and go to our nice houses, go to our jobs, go to the movies. We can't just live our lives and go on vacation and go swimming in the summer and go to Dollywood, which we like to go to, you know, God's hell on earth. (laughs) And ignore the poor that are in our community. Now, some of you are aware that we have a whole thriving homeless industry. A friend of mine and I were walking down the street And we saw someone sitting there, clearly homeless, offered them something to eat, said, hey, we'll take you right over here and we'll buy you something to eat. Can we we go over there to that nicer restaurant instead? Oh, made me so mad. Made me so mad. There is that industry. And they're making maybe more money than you are. But those are very few and far between. And when we ignore all of the rest of the poor because of them, then we miss what God wants to do with the church. Some of you have expressed an interest in fostering, and I would encourage you, oh, we need more Christians in fostering. People that will love people no matter what's going on in their lives, that will care for their children, not to take them away from families, but to say, I am a safe place until you're ready to have your child back. We need those people to do that. And it will upend your life. And it will bring great joy to your life as well. Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is what Jesus came to do, and that is what we must do. Just as David became a safe haven for the broken, we, you and I, we must become a safe haven for the broken, even if we vehemently disagree with their lifestyles. We cannot continue to ignore. We have to find ways to help, to find ways to love. And I will tell you that we cannot just come to church on Sunday and then leave and go about our weeks. We need a community of people demonstrating love for each other so that when they encounter us, they receive that love as well. And seeing them an hour a week is not going to do it. You and I, we must reclaim the gospel. Understand, the gospel has been used to enslave and destroy whole populations. Now, that's none of you. None of you participated in that. I didn't participate in it. Everyone in this room would decry this as these are not people who know Jesus. You would do that. You would stand up and say, these are not real Christians. This is wrong. We will stop it wherever we can. This should not happen. But I'm telling you, it already has, and there is pain in the world as a result. And so we have to address it now. You and I live in the age of technology and that everything is happening so fast. It is changing so fast. And the needs around the world are growing so fast. And our ability to help meet those needs is growing so quickly. But if we do not address what is happening and what has happened in our past, we will never be able to move forward and take hurting people to the one who can give them true healing. And that is Jesus. Because they believe those who follow Jesus are evil people. And many who claim to follow Jesus are. We have to be different and they have to see us saying this. If we're going to do that, I'm almost finished. I know you all are ready to go. You're tired of me ranting on. If you want to stick around, I can rant for another couple hours. (laughs) But I'll let you go here in a minute. If we're going to do that, we have to seek God in everything we do to stay true to his calling and his purpose of redemption in this world. You and I cannot just think about it a couple hours a week. We have to think about it every moment of every day. How do I fulfill and live out God's purpose in this world? How do I care for these hurting people in this world today? Let me end somewhat how I started. It is a great lie that God wants you to have a life of ease and entertainment. That is what everyone wants. But that is not what followers of Jesus seek. It is a great lie. God wants us to seek Him and trust Him. What we know to be true is that we seek God most passionately when we are vulnerable, when we are hurting, when we are broken. When you are hurting and you are broken, understand this is an invitation to trust God. And when we are vulnerable, seeking and trusting God, we can finally live out God's purpose for our lives. So here's what I want to leave you with David's story. Now, next week, we're going to wrap up this portion of David's life, the pre-King David. The last week where he's running from Saul, and we're going to see some incredible things about David's character next week. Probably a story, again, you probably have not heard before. But here's what I want to leave you with today. And here's what my hope is for myself, for my own children, my hope for you, my hope for all of the church. We need more Davids 
who heal from their brokenness to help others with their own. Now notice I said you've got to heal. I find it amazing how many people don't want to heal from their brokenness. They want to celebrate it, live in it, tell everybody about it. That does not demonstrate the glory of God and how well we can publicize our pain. It demonstrates the glory of God when we demonstrate how God has healed us and He is using us to heal others. That's what we need to be in the church today. If you want a three-point plan on how to do that, me too. But we have to begin to speak to what's going on in the world and what has gone on before. It is the role of the gospel to change the world. It is the role of the gospel to change these social structures. It is the role of the gospel to let people see that are greater than what we have set up in our nation. It is the role of the gospel for us to run to those who are hurting, to be a safe place for those who need it. I don't have all the answers. I am not the perfect example on what to do. But I'm looking, and I pray you will look with me. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the testimonies of things that you have done in our students' lives today. I thank you for, gosh, the testimony of what you've done in my life, what you've done in our lives in this room. I thank you for the hearts of gold that just sit here looking to care for others. Just time after time I have seen it. But, Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a place of healing in this culture. We would be a safe haven no matter who anyone is, that we will not look at those different from us with fear or disdain, but we will look at them as our brothers and our sisters. Lord, do amazing work in our lives so that as we leave this place, we take it with us and we spread it every place we go. Just as your great commission said, as we are going, let us share the gospel a gospel that brings true life, a gospel that brings true freedom, a gospel that does not condemn and judge, but a gospel that brings new life to those who are hurting. I pray that you would hear our prayers of repentance when we have not fulfilled your purpose and we have not given you glory and instead we have sought our own. I pray that we would not take the route of Saul, but instead we would be a David. Father, lead us to heal those who are hurting here and They are just as David when he first entered the cave, wanting everyone to stay away. Just get away and hide. No more hurt. No more pain. Just let me survive this. God, I pray that you would bring them hope and healing in their lives, and you would give them a strength that can only come through your spirit so that they can go out and care for those who are hurting outside of these walls. Father, change us. Make us new. And help us be faithful to our God who has come for the oppressed, for the captive, for the poor, and for the blind. Let us be that in the world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.